Circuit in Richmond agreed with U.S. District Judge Theodore D. Chuang in Maryland, who sided with opponents in finding that the ban violates the Constitution by intentionally discriminating against Muslims. In a 10-3 decision, the court noted Trump's remarks before and after his election about implementing a ban on Muslims and said the executive order in context drips with religious intolerance, animus, and discrimination. The president's authority, the court said, cannot go unchecked when, as here, the president wields it through an executive edict that stands to cause irreparable harm to individuals across this nation, Chief Judge Roger L. Gregory wrote. Meanwhile, a three-judge panel of the Ninth Circuit said Trump had not adhered to federal law in which Congress gives the president broad power in immigration matters. The Ninth Circuit opinion did not dwell on Trump's public comments, nor did it declare that the president had run afoul of the Constitution because his intent was to discriminate. Instead, the judges ruled that the travel ban lacked a sufficient national security or other justification that would make it legal, and that violated immigration law. There is no finding that present vetting standards are inadequate, and no finding that, absent the improved vetting procedures, there likely will be harm to our national interests, the judges wrote. These identified reasons do not support the conclusion that the entry of nationals from the six designated countries would be harmful to our national interests. They added that national security is not a talismanic incantation that, once invoked, can support any and all exercise of executive power. In both appeals courts, a minority of conservative judges had said their colleagues were making a mistake. Judges should look only to whether the executive orders were proper on their face, they said, without trying to decide if the president had ulterior motives and defer to national security decisions made by the executive branch. The Supreme Court surely will shudder at the majority's adoption of this new rule that has no limits or bounds, wrote dissenting Fourth Circuit Judge Paul V. Nehmeyer. Trump thundered on Twitter after the judicial setbacks that the second executive order was a watered-down version of the first. And while his lawyers in court described the action as a temporary pause in immigration and administration officials corrected reporters who called it a travel ban, Trump did not agree. People, the lawyers, and the courts can call it whatever they want, but I'm calling it what we need and what it is a travel ban, he wrote. Hundreds have gone missing in eastern Ukraine's dirty war by Jack Losh in the Washington Post Europe section. I'm Sam Scholl. On a warm afternoon in Ukraine's breakaway east, as the front line rumbled with only occasional shell fire, Stanislav Asiv, a 27-year-old undercover journalist, was heading home to Donetsk. Many of his colleagues had long since fled the industrial battle-scarred city, a separatist stronghold where freedom of expression is harshly repressed. Despite this, during three years of war, Asiv remained publishing stories under a pseudonym to avoid repercussions from the city's new masters. Outside working hours, jazz, jogging, and philosophy offered him relief from the conflict. On June 2nd, as he approached Donetsk, Asiv contacted his mother and promised to visit the next day. He never arrived. After repeated phone calls went unanswered, worried friends and relatives headed to Asiv's apartment. His front door had been smashed open, and his possessions, including a work laptop, had been seized. Authorities in the self-proclaimed Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, would give them no information. It has since emerged that DNR security agents are holding a sieve incommunicado in an unspecified facility. His friends worry that he has been subjected to beatings and torture. That's not an unreasonable concern because, according to human rights investigators, it has become standard practice for anyone in detention in Donetsk. No one can guarantee that he will survive, said Igor Frusov, a former member of parliament and a university friend of Asiv's who is campaigning for the journalist's release. Asiv has joined the hundreds of people, or possibly several thousand, who are missing or held as prisoners of war in eastern Ukraine. Although frontline hostilities have reached a simmering deadlock, 
a dirty war persists in the wider, lawless region. Civilians attempt to survive on contested ground, pinned between marauding forces accused of pillage, violent intimidation, sexual abuse, torture, and even summary execution. The UN has documented accounts of such war crimes recording arbitrary detention and enforced disappearances across the conflict zone, particularly in territory controlled by Russian-backed separatists. Denied access to relatives or legal counsel, captives are kept in secret prisons, basements, and other dire improvised detention areas. The exact number of missing individuals is unknown, but the International Committee of the Red Cross says it could be up to 2,000. There are many sick people walking around with guns these days, one resident of a frontline village told UN investigators. If they want to kill us, they will just come. Who can protect us from this? A new and disturbing report by the Office of the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights suggests both forces are carrying out extrajudicial executions. In March, the body of a missing man was found near a government-held...